Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, If you want to follow along, that's on page 831 in the Pew Bibles. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Good. Uh, hi, my name is Octavio, and I'm the worship pastor here. And I'm going to be bringing the sermon today. Before I start, question, what did you do yesterday? What did you do with all that sun? I saw a bunch of rednecks in the in sense of, of red, actual, actual, actual rednecks around. Because I can see from the back and, you know, <laughs> lovely, lovely rednecks. But what did you do? Somebody just, two, I need two hands. Let me know what you did yesterday. Can, soccer games. Or baseball. Okay, good, good to know. Uh, we, we actually went for some Brazilian food. I don't know if you know a place here called uh, Boteco Brasil? There. Good. It was good. We went there. Uh, okay, so please allow me to take you back in time to a time before Trudeau became our beloved prime minister. I'm going to let that sit for one more second. A time when the iPhone did not exist, before the inve- invention of the combustion engine, a time before the first conversation between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, before a frustrated monk nailed a bunch of theses on the door of an old church. A time before smallpox decimated the indigenous populations in the Americas, before the Han Dynasty. A time before the Mongol Empire dwarfed the Greek Greek Empire in size. A time before Pope Leo IX excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople, creating the Great Schism. A time before Islam, a time before the bubonic plague, a time before, and I think you get where I'm going with this, I'm bringing you back, way, way back, back to the beginnings of a social experiment that would dramatically shape world history. Welcome to the Christian experiment. Welcome to this grassroots movement with unqualified leaders. And when I say leaders, I mean way too many leaders, way too many leaders for any social enterprise to actually flourish. But to be fair, this movement had to reach every nation in every tongue, so they needed all the, all the bodies available. What started as a Jewish project soon became a movement way too big to handle. 
too stretched out to manage, but, I, but may I remind you that what seemed like a human project was in reality a Holy Spirit, God-led project. So it necessarily needs to be much for any human to claim control over, even though we're trying to do that until this day. This brings me back to this letter. Here in 1 Peter, we can see one of the leaders of this ambitious experiment, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly trying to navigate through this movement that surprisingly, surprisingly especially to Peter, welcomed lords and slaves, the poor and the rich, the orphans and the widows, all ages, Jews and non-Jews. I mean, how can you pretend to HR a movement where everyone is invited? What a beautiful and challenging theological, linguistic, and cultural mess that was. And I'm sure this was what uh, Jesus would call, would call his kind of party. Jesus was never put off by human mess. I actually don't think he would call it a mess like I just did. He was immersed in it, washing feet, hugging lepers, uh, healing, uh, dealing with uh, empire soldiers, befriending prostitutes, picking fights with Pharisees, you name it. I think he was absolutely devastated that he didn't get to stay for the messiest bits of the party he planned for so long and also paid for. Because according to Jesus himself, there was someone better than him to guide them through all of this logistical mess. Wonderful Holy Spirit. Because that is what it was, a God-led, organic, ad hoc, beautiful, logistical nightmare of a party. And that is the context of this letter. That is the context of 1 Peter. Here we have a more experienced uh, Peter remotely trying to help, guide, and pastor a plethora of communities in Asia Minor. Here, Peter is writing to, and I quote, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This was meant to be a circular letter sent to these communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, like I said, which is modern-day in Turkey. Peter is writing to mostly non-Jewish Christians who were facing some sort of persecution. This letter comes in a moment of profound disorientation. Peter wrote to encourage them in the midst of their suffering and to remind them that they were part of the family of God now, born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth is that this divine project was not only disorienting for the communities in Asia Minor, this divine project was disorienting for everyone, especially at the beginning. You know, this was a monotheistic movement where the leader was this one and only God who was born of a virgin amongst the Jews, who later died as a revolutionary in a very humiliating way. And if you heard what I said, the whole enterprise should have been a bust. It should have failed. But oddly enough, it did the opposite of that. No matter who it touched, this divine project turned their lives upside down. Now, uh, let's put our uh, thinking slash imagination hat, uh, hats on and piggyback off of a story that is well known and loved here at Grandview. Picture four fishermen. Peter, his brother John, his brother Andrew, John, and his brother James. We got four. Now, I want you to picture them as the four hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. All innocent, minding their own business at the Shire slash Galilean port. You know, struggling, but somewhat happy. That is until one day a prominent figure comes and calls them to follow him. Why not, right? 
it's got to be more exciting than whatever it is that they were doing uh, there at that moment. And they had, oh, they had no idea what was coming. They, had, they, they didn't know even half of it, which didn't even matter because there was absolutely nothing they could do to prepare for, the, for that calling. And by the way, this might uh, cause a little bit of, of a stir here, but I would say that Peter is Frodo. You know, in this uh, betraying the cause right at the last moment. That's Peter. Samwise, I think it would be John. Faithful until the end. The only one who actually was there at the foot of the cross. And uh, the other two are just a simple toss of a coin. I say Andrew is Pippin and James is Mary, maybe. <laughs> Question, would somebody else want to, want to fight me on, on, that, on those? Who do you think is Frodo in this scenario? Peter, agree with me? No? Not even you? Not even you, brother. Not even you, Charlie. I mean, I, I think it's got to be Peter. How, how can it, how can, how can that be? Oh, uh, more complicated question. Who's Mary? Uh, it's Andrew. Andrew. Easy. Yeah. Andrew. You heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> so it's so, so crazy and disoriented because they, they didn't really know that Jesus can heal people. They didn't know uh, that he would get them in trouble with the powers of, of their time. They didn't know that Jesus could raise people from the dead and walk on water all at the same time. And if things couldn't get any crazier or complex, Gandalf dies. Which I, by that I mean that Jesus actually dies. Jesus dies, Gandalf also dies, but it doesn't matter at this point. We're talking about Jesus now. The death of their leader on the cross made things even worse, especially for Peter. This, their disorientation, which was already, already there when, uh, as they were following Jesus, it just deepened. A disorientation in terms of vocation, mission, vision, future, everything. It is self-evident that this disorientation didn't go away or got solved when Jesus came back from the dead as, as he promised he would. They were still collectively pretty much in the disorientation camp. It is here when Jesus decides to make breakfast for his disciples. I'm not going to go into much detail uh, because Jake preached a wonderful sermon on this, on Resurrection Sunday. A sermon you have easy access to if you just go to our website or look for, and, and it took me a while, but I, I got it. It, it. If you look for Grandview Church Vancouver in your favorite podcast app, all the sermons are there. As well as this sermon. It is in this period of disorientation when, uh, Peter asked, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Now let's take a, a closer look at the, at the life of Peter. There comes a point in his journey when Jesus, uh, with Jesus where he fully commits. I don't know if that was immediately after Jesus called him to follow him or after he realized that Jesus was, and I quote, the Messiah, the Son of the Holy One. Either way, what we definitely do see in Peter is that he was in. He was all in. So much so that we see Peter being called once, only once. And then the rest of the time, it is Peter who's chasing after Jesus. Ever, ever since his calling, Peter has a continuous, nonstop orientation towards Jesus, which is actually something we don't see in the other disciples as much, if at all. Peter is unmistakably, unmistakably all in. Unmistakably, is that a word? Unmistakably, all in. Peter wants to take part of Jesus. He wants to be with him. It is Peter that is moving towards Jesus, either verbally or physically walking or even running towards Jesus. 
I don't know if you remember the comedic episode when Jesus is trying to wash his disciples' feet. Remember that? It is Peter that makes that moment memorable. I'm sure that's the only reason why that story is in the Bible, because of, of, of uh, Peter's response. So as, as Jesus approaches Peter, Peter says, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus replies, Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And to that, Peter replies, Okay, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I can definitely see, see Jesus chuckling as well as the disciples at, at Peter's response. Because Peter wants to participate of Jesus. Or remember when the women came uh, running, women came, for, depends on which gospel you read, uh, uh, came running from the tomb to tell the disciples that Jesus uh, rose again or, or basically that they couldn't find him in the tomb. What did Peter do? He literally just runs and sprints towards Jesus. If that wasn't enough, there is even a crazier story. One day, the disciples are minding their own business again, doing what they had done for so many times before. They were sailing on a small boat, trying to get to the other side, until a huge storm breaks out, and it feels like they're sinking. To make matters worse, they are apparently being hunted by an undisclosed figure. They see what seems to be a ghost, the Grim Reaper, an angel of death coming to claim their souls. So yes, many of them thought their moment had come. That is until someone realizes that the ghostly figure is none other than Jesus. And yes, I know what you're thinking. A ghost made much more sense, much more sense than Jesus walking on water. <laughs> this might be the only time in history where a ghost hovering over the water heading towards them made much more sense compared to what was actually happening. Okay, now you would think that that was the climax of the story, but no. Why? Because Peter is in the boat, and he's getting, he's getting ready to blow his friend's minds. In a bizarre and surprising turn of events, Peter utters one of the craziest and more ludicrous, ludicrous sentences to ever come out of the mouth of a human being. He yells, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Jesus tells him to, uh, uh, and he literally walks on water and goes to be with Jesus. In spite of all the hiccups, triumphs, and mistakes, Peter is constantly moving towards Jesus. Now, let's go back to the previous story for a second. Peter was, again, minding his own business, doing what apparently he was not very good at doing, fishing. As Peter and some of the other disciples are getting ready to give up, they've been fishing all night couldn't catch anything. They suddenly see a man on the shore, a man who's yelling at them and trying to, to tell them to, uh, how to do their jobs better. Weirdly enough, they decide to follow his instructions, and as they do so, one of the disciples realizes that it's Jesus, and that, that, that disciple tells Peter, who within two seconds forgets about his friends, the boat, the big catch, and half-nakedly throws himself off the boat and swims towards Jesus. This time he doesn't run nor walks. He swims towards Jesus. After the disciples finish their breakfast, a breakfast cooked by God himself, the chef decides to have one more important conversation with his friend. And this time he's eager to know one thing, the most important thing. Jesus is about to depart, and he needs to know if, G if Peter still loves him. Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? 
Now, Jesus could have asked, Peter, do you believe X, Y, Z? He could have asked, Peter, do you understand X, Y, Z? Do you know how to do X, Y, Z? But he didn't. Those were not as fundamental as, do you love me? Love was how Jesus invited him back and how his calling was couched again. Do you love me? Yes? Nice. Then come feed my sheep. Peter declares his love for Jesus three times, and now, once again, he's all in. He's in the deep end once again. In his ever-decreasing and increasing ignorance about God, about his tradition, the, the afterlife, Jesus, and power, and preaching, you name it, he was ignorant about many things. One thing that kept him going after Jesus left was his love for him. He was invited to hope again through love and, die, and to dive into this new life, a life without the physical presence of Jesus. The question is, how can Peter go on without the physical presence of Jesus? It was Peter who declared, where can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And now Jesus is gone. How will Peter move forward in this new and dark reality? Well, Peter was soon going to find out, because Peter was still all in after all. But he was a, a different person now. He was all in in a new way, not like before. After Jesus left, he didn't go back to his, his pre-dive ways of being a disciple. None of them did. So 1 Peter is a post-dive letter that comes after Peter walked this new walk. After years of figuring out how to live and be a little Christ without the physical presence of his friend. Peter tells his audience in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, seen him you love him. And even, you, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Just imagine what kind of change there had to be. I, I don't know, uh, but what did your heart feel? Did your heart feel a little tingling when you heard me describe Peter's new life, a life without the presence of his friend? You know, God was still there, but not like it was before, not like in the good old days, when they were all together laughing at each other, talking about the crazy things Jesus did the other night. Even though uh, he could no longer walk or run or swim towards Jesus anymore, it was this new face of Peter and God, Peter and the Holy Spirit, even though drastically different, that really transformed our good Simon into the Apostle Peter. This new way of relating with God. So now, we come to the reality of Grandview Church, Grandview Community. Grandview is still on the fringes. Grandview is still waiting to see what happens, what comes next. Grandview, us, we're still stopping ourselves a little bit from re-engaging, from opening up, from opening up fully. We're still closed off, close to ourselves a little bit, close to the outside Christian world too. We got hurt, and it was real, and we discovered a new reality, a new way of being a Christian, a new way of being a Grandviewite as well. That is, a more closed off, more reserved and less involved Christian, a more shielded version of our latter selves. And we all discovered a strange comfort in this new way of being a Christian, 
a new way of protecting ourselves against other dangerous people, against disillusionment, against exhaustion. For many of us, there's no, no more all in, not anymore. You know, fool me once, that's on you. Fool me twice, right? The truth is that this is not only true of Grandview. This is true of most churches in the Western world. So yes, that is us as a community right now. But not, now let's talk about us as individuals. Because for many of us, believing wholeheartedly, again, feels, like, feels similar to Peter yelling, Jesus, tell me to come to you. It would feel nonsensical. Why would I do that to myself again? I crashed and burned. Ergo, I'm not doing that again. Can you call me out for that? No, right? Next question. And I get it. I, I, I am there with you. But l- let me say this for a second. I'm starting to dislike what I have become as a reaction to what I went through. Living somewhat of a cynical life that intentional, intentionally or unintentionally puts me on the throne. A cynical life that has given me a momentary comfort, like sitting on a nice couch at home that gives me lower back pain. I'm comfortable but I'm absolutely not comfortable and in pain all at the same time. And the longer I sit there, the less things I want to do because my back hurts so much. The longer I sit there, the less mobile I become, the less I want to relate with people and do things with people. My soul is getting rustier and rustier as I stop practicing love, as I stop exercising my hope muscles. My surroundings are gloomier than ever, maybe because all the curtains are closed and I lost most of my contact with the outside world, with the enchanted forest outside, where danger looms, but also where the magical creatures are. I know what I'm against, but I don't know what I'm for anymore. Committing and jumping headfirst goes absolutely against what our bodies and brains have learned not to do. But, but what if instead of being, you know, fool me once, that's on you. But what if, what if instead of being fooled again, we could be re-enchanted instead? Like being born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you say what you are for and walk towards it believing that God is good? Could you answer Jesus if he asks you, do you love me? Could you say, Yes. If so, I think it's time for you to go feed God's sheep once again and be filled with that inexpressible and glorious joy. Remember, Jesus didn't ask, do you believe X, Y, Z? Do you understand X, Y, Z? Do you know how to do X, Y, Z? He did not. He asked, do you love me? Yes? Nice. Then come feed my sheep again. That is the question or invitation for Grandview. Do you love me? Do you? For many of us, it's been a while since we, since we uttered the words, Jesus, I love you. For many of us, that, that phrase feels very loaded. This is an invitation to a living hope through love. We don't know what this community will look like or if or who will be the lead pastor at this point, or how your personal faith will look like, or 
or, or. It is an invitation to hope through love. Do you love me? Yes? Then it's, it's okay to dive in again. Now, what is this diving for us as a community? What, what, is this diving, what does this diving in mean for you? You might have been receiving some hunches or divine pokes already to what that would look like. Maybe that is, maybe that is it. Or maybe you actually have no clue what to do next. Either way, God is inviting you to walk in this living hope. We are welcoming to a living hope as children of God through the resurrection. What will your journey look like after you dive? After you start uh, taking some steps forward? After you start walking in this living hope again? I don't know. Nobody knows. But one thing that is for sure is that that your post-life will most definitely not look like or be similar to your pre-dive life. What will Grammy's life be like in the upcoming years? Neither pastors nor council knows. But one thing is for sure. Grandview has no future without, without a wholehearted dive. This is not about a pastor diving in or even a lead pastor diving in. It's about a Grandview community diving in again. What does this mean to you or for you? Us as pastors and council are eager to know. I want, us to, I want to invite us to, to wrap this up uh, with, with the slide. Eric, if you can help me. I want to invite you, to, if you can please indulge me and close your eyes for a second. We're going to pray. Thank you, most holy God. Thank you because through your resurrection, you're invite, inviting us into hope again. Thank you because you're constantly inviting us back to you with the words, do you love me? God, and love requires forward movement for us individually and for us as a community. God, our lives are not going to look the same. They cannot look the same. It's impossible. But we are willing to hope and move forward and find out what happens. That is individually, and that is also as a community, God. We're eager to find out, God. We want to walk and take uh, steps forward, believing that you are good. Believing that you go forward. Believing that you are beside us. Please help us re-engage again. Please help us reimagine again. I want to invite you to read, the, read this with me, and you can go in the vault. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus' resurrection creates the new possibility for reconciliation with God. We greatly rejoice in the welcome we receive through this resurrection. Adopted in love, glory and honor 
be to Jesus Christ our risen Savior.